This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. That time right now, 8.13. You're tuned to WGNS on this Monday morning, today, the 20th of September. And this morning, we have guests in studio from MTSU. And our first guest this morning is Dr. Ken Curry, professor and new chair for the Department of Engineering Technology. How are you this morning? I'm pretty good. How are you, Scott? I'm good. So you came to MTSU by way of West Virginia University. Uh, so when, when did you actually start here locally? I uh, started on August the 1st. August 1st. All right. So what what differences do you see right off the bat compared to the two universities? It's always interesting to hear how one university does things this way, this one does it another way. You'd be surprised at how common some of the support systems are, a lot of the software systems for managing student records and the like are very, very similar. So from that standpoint, it's been very good. And uh, you know, I think that the student preparation here is just as good as any other uh, major university, and we've got really great students. And you've taught for a long time, 34 years. <laughs> I sure have. I, I'm sure I only look 45. Is that right? That's right. Maybe 40. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've been teaching for quite a while. I've taught at uh, WVU and also at Tennessee Tech, as well as Kansas State. So what stories do you hear from students who graduate go on you know into a career do they come back and ever say you know this is what you taught me and i've used this in xyz i have had students come back and say you know what i attended your simulation class but i really didn't pay attention now i have to apply a simulation somewhere can you help me so i'm just you know just there's something inside of you that just kind of says, oh, I wish I could just <laughs> turn back the clock and reteach it to him. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I think that uh, I, I think that for the most part, students really take with them uh, a lot of information that they carry straight to the to the local workforce. So, Ken, what will you be doing here in Murfreesboro at MTSU? So I'm chairing the mechatronics engineering, and we have three engineering technology programs, one in mechanical engineering technology, one in electromechanical uh, technology, and uh, a third in computer engineering technology. So uh, we've got quite a few programs. We also are the primary support for the master's in engineering management. So um, although that is a a cross-discipline kind of a degree we offer some of the, uh, all of the engineering uh, related courses for that the word mechatronics that seems like something that we have heard a lot more of over the last i'd say five years or so and i think even a, a local high school here yeah. has a program in it but tell us what is mechatronics yeah it's it's really a little bit i mean it, it is something new there's not very many programs that have a mechatronics uh in a bachelor's degree uh, and we started ours in 2015, and it's grown from zero to about 300 and some students. So we've got quite a bit of growth. And I like to kind of uh, 
equate it to kind of like a, a dance between mechanical, electrical, and, and computer systems. Because in and of themselves, if I'm a mechanical engineer, you usually don't get the breadth of knowledge in uh, the electric uh, circuits and uh, all of the you know digital circuits and PLCs. The mechanical engineers are more focused on you know kinematics and machine design. Whereas the electrical engineers, they kind of focus just on the, the controls and, and they don't even really take a look at the mechanical side. So between the computer interface and electrical and mechanical, that's where you've kind of got this uh, choreography of automation. And, and that's basically what's driving a lot of the smart manufacturing that's going on in, in the industry right now. Speaking of automation, for anyone who has lived here for you know, 10 years or longer, if they have had the chance to tour Nissan and Smyrna, they have seen all the robots in action and the, the automation services that are, you know, just lines and lines of robots doing, I don't know, mechanical things, putting cars yeah. together. Sure. Is that going to play a bigger role in our future here in America? Are we going to see more robots? Oh, I, I definitely, uh, you know, I think what I've seen, uh, you know, even when we were at, uh, when I was at WVU, we were seeing a lot of employers starting to say, hey, we can't find qualified workers. And so they were just saying, hey, if, is, is there a particular job or we've identified a job that, you know, because we've got this worker shortage, uh, can we, uh, you know, automate this to make it something that is capable for a robot to maybe do or maybe a robot uh, you know, right now, one of the things that's growing is this idea of collaborative robots. And these are robots that basically can operate with someone right beside them. Most of those robots you see at Nissan and whatnot, you don't want to be anywhere near them. They've got electric fences all the way around them so that if anybody uh, hits the, uh, the laser eye, it basically they'll shut down. But these collab robots have actually got feedback mechanisms so that when they see a resistance or meet a resistance, they immediately stop. And so that way they can be operated within a working distance of humans. And if you have these robots that are helping humans, then you can maybe get some uh, force multipliers in your workforce. You know, it's really interesting. When you look at toys and you look at different generations growing up, my grandfather grew up with Lincoln Logs, and my dad, it would be the erector set, and then my generation, the robotic sets and Legos. But today, in today's times, you don't see a lot of toys of, you know, offering the opportunity for kids to make things like robots or buildings. You don't see a lot of that anymore. And that, that kind of plays a role, I think, in the generation today, eventually going to college and getting a degree in whatever it may be. But you don't see that innovation of children wanting to build stuff like that. Well, I, th I think, you know, I, I have a a six-year-old grandson and we were looking for uh, something special to get him and i was shocked i mean there are a lot of toys that are actually teaching elementary coding to students on the way that they put things together and how they make them work so i think you'd be surprised at at the kind of toys that are out there for younger kids and i'd like to say you know the other thing is is that a lot of our students are coming in already with microprocessors, Arduinos, Raspberry Pis. They're already starting to, to take these and starting to do simple projects with them. So at MTSU, you hope to oversee a new program that is going to bring more robots into action, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's our goal is that... Uh, 
we we want to uh, expand our robotic presence uh, and actually give students more hands-on uh, uh, capabilities. Does this mean working with more companies and manufacturers here in Middle Tennessee? Yeah, and I think that the the real target here is the tier one, tier two automotive suppliers uh, that are uh, you know facing really difficult times finding workers. Uh, the Nissans, the GMs. Uh, they've got trained staff that are going to be doing that. They've got a lot of expertise in-house, uh, and uh, we certainly will provide engineers to those major employers, but I think the the real outreach is to the Tier 1, Tier 2 suppliers. So how can folks learn more about this? Maybe there is a, a you know somebody, a department head listening who works at a plant that manufactures something for vehicles. How, how can they get more involved in this? Uh, I just say, hey, uh, reach out directly to, to myself, and uh, you can find me on the website there uh, as the chair of the engineering technology department. And uh, I think we've got a lot of things that we're doing. We're uh, hoping to have a new building in about uh, two to three years. Uh, and with that, it's going to be all new equipment. And so I'm hoping that we'll have a lot of really great things to come. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Ken Curry, professor and new chair of the Department of Engineering Technology. And we appreciate you joining us this morning. Hey, thanks, Scott. Time right now, 822. Stay with us. We do have more guests from MTSU coming your way in just a minute. WGNS talks about all things local. It's Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Weekday mornings at 10 on WGNS, AM, FM, and online. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. Animal City is your pet bird destination. Whether you're looking for a new home for your feathered friend or plenty of toys and enrichment to keep them happy, we are the place for you. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. We have all the things that you need to keep your feathered friends happy. We have a great selection of enclosures and lots of toys and enrichment to choose from. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Family Restaurants. Do you know somebody who has moved far away and is missing eating at Demas's? Well, Demas's Family Restaurants now offers many of our sauces and some of our food, such as pot roast and soup, to be shipped all across the nation. It's very simple. You just go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com and you can send an order to anybody as a gift all across this nation. You can send an order to anybody. Go to DemasFamilyKitchen.com Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Time right now, 824. You're tuned to WGNS again on this Monday morning, today, the 20th of September. We have in studio with us this morning and all throughout the morning, guests from MTSU. And right now in studio, Cynthia Chafin, Associate Director of Community Programs for the MTSU Center for Health and Human Services. And then also with us, Michael Ion, Rural Communities Opiate Response Program Coordinator. How are both of you doing this morning? Doing, doing great. great thank you thank you for having us yeah definitely and this you know this sounds interesting because the opiate epidemic has been in the news for the last i'd say 10 years at least uh, but what what is happening right here locally and how is wilson county 
uh, a part of this uh, a new special grant yeah, I can share a little bit of information about that. You are exactly right. The opi- opioid epidemic has been in the news quite a bit. Uh, I know just here in Rutherford County alone, uh, in 2020, we experienced 109 opioid-related overdoses. That's up from 84 the year before. Uh, this is not unique to Rutherford County. It's not unique to Wilson County. Uh, it's a pervasive problem everywhere. Uh, the pandemic has only increased uh, the problem with that. I know the American Medical Association put out a report uh, that showed 40 uh, states have shown increases since the pandemic. So our center, uh, of course, you all know, and some of the listeners know, our mission at the Center for Health and Human Services is better health and well-being for Tennesseans and for all, and that includes uh Uh, preventing opioid misuse and abuse Uh, of course there's obviously a right way to use painkillers and drugs of the sort and then there's a wrong way and the wrong way i guess is the biggest issue because you do have a lot of pain clinics that they do have a purpose you know you have somebody who's been in a bad car accident and their injury may not be something that can be operated on or fixed so they may actually have to be on some type of painkiller the rest of their life Uh, But then you have those who don't follow the doctor's orders. They don't take it when they're supposed to. They take more than they're supposed to, and it leads to an addiction. And it is that addiction that is the issue at hand. And what does that look like? I kind of describe how that all happens and, and what it does look like. It's very interesting, actually. In the state of Tennessee, the overdose deaths actually jumped almost 50% in 2020. And males now make up two-thirds of all of the overdose deaths. In 2019, in the state of Tennessee, we had 2,089 overdose deaths. In 2020, we had 3,032. Now, there are two major factors in terms of the spike. Why is there this big spike? Number one, the support systems have been interrupted by COVID-19 and by the pandemic. And then number two, there's an increased presence of what's called fentanyl. This is a synthetic uh, opioid and it's present in things like meth, cocaine, heroin, sometimes even marijuana. Now, the thing that's important to note about fentanyl is that it is a hundred times more potent than morphine and 50 times more potent than heroin. And it can easily trigger an overdose. They usually use this in late stage cancer victims, for example. And so I think ultimately, if we're gonna stop this, there are certain things that need to happen. Number one, we need to have engaged communities, which we do here in Tennessee. Number two, you have to have support for employment and for housing. Number three, you have to have communication between law enforcement, pharmacists, doctors, employers, and faith-based organizations. Uh, Number four, you have to have, you have to combat the stigma around opioid use and treatment. And then finally, you have to have community leaders that are working together in order to solve the problem. How are people getting their hands on fentanyl? Because that's something that you typically, well, years ago, you would have only seen it in a hospital setting. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And I think, you know, to illustrate the point a little bit, um, we actually have a story out of uh, Wilson County that I'll tell you about. Essentially, um, Lisa Tapley, her son Thomas, died from an opioid overdose in 2018 in Wilson County. He had a work injury, and this work injury, they prescribed opioids by a doctor. So he had a prescription. And then eventually that led to uh, being taking street pills that were laced with this fentanyl. And Ms. Tapley spoke with Wilson County Mayor Hutto about this problem because ultimately she 
she knew that her son was addicted to these opioids, she was traveling to other states in order to get treatment, and she wasn't aware of all the resources that are available here locally. So fentanyl is basically something that is very cheap, and it's very strong in very small quantities. And it is basically making its way into all of these different types of drugs, really because of the cost, because it mm -hmm. is so cheap, and people don't know what it is that they're getting, so they end up overshooting the mark. So are people snorting drugs or are they shooting them up? Are they taking them, you know, by mouth? How, how are drug users who get into trouble in this case where they overdose, how are they using these drugs? It's present in, in all things, meth, cocaine, heroin, again, marijuana, and those are all used in a variety of different ways. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is like in Wilson County, for example, they had 61 overdose deaths in 2019 and 79 overdose deaths in 2020. And the problem really is that they're just not aware that the fentanyl is present. You just don't know what you're getting. And that's when you run into problems in terms of the overdoses, what you think you need in order to get high. And then suddenly you end up taking that amount. You end up overshooting the mark because you're just not aware the fentanyl is present. I know a couple of years ago here in Rutherford County, we started seeing arrests being made for a drug dealer who would be charged with, I guess, second degree murder because the person he sold drugs to overdosed and died because mm -hmm. there was fentanyl in them. We didn't used to see that type of stuff in the news. You know, drug dealers would be arrested on drug charges and that's the bottom line. But now they are getting arrested on murder charges because what they're selling is killing people, literally. It's it's a changing landscape for sure. And our particular grant, it's funded through HRSA, the Health Resources Services Administration, which is an agency of uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They've invested $298 million in this. 1,420 counties are right now working on similar things to what we are because it is a changing landscape. We, we didn't see what you just described in the past it's just a it's an evolving problem and somewhere it's got to stop so uh, we're we're really grateful to have these dollars uh, to to help uh, figure out you know what can we do about it in in this corner of our state how did Wilson County get picked for this $1 million grant? And, and how is this grant going to impact Wilson County? It's a great question. I, I think ultimately it's because they were all set up very early. What happened was after Ms. Tapley's son died and she went to Mayor Hutto about this problem in May of 2018, the community leaders came together. And then in June of 2018, a leadership team was put in place called Drug Free Wilco. And now we meet monthly mm -hmm. on Zoom the fourth Wednesday of every single month at 3.30 p.m. We have amazing board members from all over the community, including Lieutenant Scott Moore, Susan Shaw at uh, Mayor Huddle's office, Corporal Matt McPeak, Charlotte Busher with Vanderbilt, uh, Jessica San Stanley is a certified peer recovery specialist, Sheila Raymond is with Wilson County Schools, and then of course Tammy Grow, our executive director. And what we did was we got everybody together to try to figure out what is the issue. So in December of 2019, we had what's called the sequential intercept mapping, which is really to locate the gaps that are in the criminal justice system in Wilson County. We identified those gaps. And then in December of 2020, we put together four focus groups to collect quantitative and qualitative data. So we had these four focus groups, which are data reporting, training and education, jail-based programming, and then a diversion center. And with all of this data from these focus groups, we put together a needs assessment and gap analysis report in 2021. So now we actually have all these new initiatives that we're gonna be rolling out 
in Wilson County because of this grant. The first one is a jail-based re-entry transition specialist. This is being done by Volunteer Behavioral Health, somebody working in the prisons to help with transition back into the community. Then we have what's called the PIC Center or a diversion center that's being run by Cedar Recovery. So if you're picked up on a first-time misdemeanor drug charge, instead of going to prison, now you're going to be able to go to get the treatment that you need in the diversion center. And then after you're complete with that, you can go back to work and get your records expunged. And that's ultimately what we're looking to do. We're also doing education in businesses and schools. We have a naloxone distribution program, and we're also working on an OD map for real-time data. So that way we can see in real time what's happening. Wilson County is an interesting area because it is a lot like Rutherford County. You do have a lot of rural areas, but it's growing very fast, mm -hmm. uh, just like Rutherford County is. Mm -hmm. Mount Juliet is turning into you know a, a segment of Nashville almost. That's mm -hmm. how fast they're growing, and we're going to see more of that. So will Rutherford County be able to learn some of the, I guess, aftermath of what's developed in Wilson County? I think absolutely. I think the hope is that we take what we've done in Wilson County and use that to share with other counties in Tennessee and beyond Tennessee to help them in their efforts. They're all in different stages. No, no one is immune to the opioid problem, but they are all in different stages of uh, being able to tackle that problem. And we hope that what we learn there can definitely be used here in Rutherford County as well as the other 94 counties in, in this state. Again, with us this morning, Cynthia Chafin, Associate Director of Community Programs for the MTSU Center for Health and Human Services, and Michael Eilon, and he is with the Rural Communities Opiate Response You're the program coordinator for that through MTSU. Mm -hmm. um, so what what is the... I guess what are some other things we're going to see with this whole grant that's going to impact mm -hmm. Wilson County for fighting opiate abuse? Well, we're excited at MTSU. Uh, we have our Data Science Institute involved, and as you know, uh, funders want to see, okay, what kind of impact has this made? We also, as Mike said, want to be able to show the mayor, look at what has been accomplished over you know the last five years. So the Data Science Institute is going to assist with that, where we can show some meaningful uh, outcomes. Also, our public health, uh, our co-PI on this grant is Dr. Kaler Stone with the public health program. Uh, so we're hoping to really help them show some outcomes from all of these activities that Mike talked about. And there may be some adjustments along the way with, uh, with the different activities and strategies. And that's okay. Uh, the, the important thing is, is to move forward, and that's what we plan to do. Now, one of the things that Mike talked about was having a real-time mapping system showing, I guess, online where these drug overdoses are happening in Wilson County. Tell us more about that and when is that going to be available? It's a great question. And so for example, with COVID-19, you can go onto Google right now and you can actually see the number of deaths that are occurring in any county in the United States of America. And ultimately what we'd like to do is have something similar, an OD map that actually shows where overdoses are happening within the county with real-time data. That way you can get a spike alert, for example, to the citizens. So that way they're aware that, hey, there's fentanyl in the drug supply here locally and make sure that you're aware of that. And so make sure you're pushing that information out. We would love 
love to get that OD map up and running within the next six months. I think if we can do that, that would be absolutely fantastic. But that means coordinating with all the various offices in Wilson County. That means the Wilson County Sheriff's Office. That means the Lebanon Police Department. That means the, um, the Mount Juliet Police Department. That also means WEMA, the EMS that's located in Wilson County. So there's a lot of coordination that needs to happen there, but we really feel good about the different initiatives that we have with this grant. You know, a couple of other really exciting things are that we want to offer transportation to treatment mm -hmm. because in a rural county, sometimes it's hard for people to get to the mm -hmm. treatment center. So we're going to be offering transportation to those treatment appointments. And then also we want to have a pool of funds for the uninsured to get MAT or medically assisted mm -hmm. treatment for their addictions, because we also are aware that not everybody has insurance to be able to afford this treatment. And so these are some of the really exciting things that we're going to put in place. Well, these days, even those who have insurance, their deductible is so extremely high, they're not able to afford certain procedures that they may actually need. So would this funding help those as well? Yes. yes. Yeah, it absolutely would. And so we really believe in the future there. We're also with Drug Free Wilco, they're doing all kinds of amazing things in Wilson County. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're having so much success is because of the great coalition that we have in place. So for example, we have a youth division that are in the high schools within Wilson County. We're doing town halls throughout the county. We have events for the faith-based community to make sure that pastors and others who people normally go to with these problems that they have the resources to give to their congregation. We have drug take back programs. So if you have excess pills in your house, you can actually give them back and make sure they're destroyed. Um, you can get more resources at drugfreewilco.org slash resources. And then that will, is a list of all the different resources that are in Wilson County. There's also a Tennessee red line program. That number is 1-800-889-9789 if anybody needs help and assistance right now. Again, with us this morning, Michael Ion, and then also Cynthia Chafin with MTSU. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Time right now, 839. We do have more news and information coming up, but first to check on the forecast. We'll see periods of showers and thunderstorms here this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions a high in the upper 70s. Winds out of the southeast around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615-930-0088. That's 615-930-0088. Honoring and remembering those who served in our military, here is today's Salute to Veterans. James Deck, better known as JD, flew a C-130 in Vietnam. We carried the first 25 that had a chance to live that were hurt the worst. One of them passed away on the way over there. We'd go two months in country, but we're stationed in the Philippines. Then we'd come home two months, two months, two months. And in the middle of one of the two months, we had the Santa Domingo crisis. People don't even know we had a Santa Domingo crisis. And it was one of the biggest airlifts ever. And the radio silence all the way down there. We're going to save the people in Santa Domingo. And half of us had paratroopers and half of us had ground troops. And in the middle of the ocean, they said everybody with paratroopers moved back. So we went in and air landed with the walking troops, and the first airplane popped a, 
Hood pilot got up there and he became the tower and directed traffic until the army could go take over the tower. Then we did that for like 10 days. We couldn't tell anybody where we were. Uglier than Vietnam in many cases. Weren't getting shot at so much, but uh, we weren't getting any sleep. One of the times they sent us out and said, go to such and such a frequency, and they wouldn't talk to us. We tried to get back. They wouldn't talk to us. Took us forever to figure out what happened. They launched us right through the middle of a Canaveral launch. No airliners could come in where we were, and so it was quite an experience. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Right now that time, 842, you're tuned to WGNS, and this morning we have had guests on from MTSU, and on this segment we have with us Amy Whittemore, English lecturer for the, well, let's see, you're the new director for MTSU Wright and the Murfreesboro Poet Laureate. Uh, what is MTSU Write just starting off? MTSU Write is a community-facing creative writing program. Uh, so what that means is that we are creating programming for everyone in the community, not just MTSU students, although we serve them as well. Uh, the main uh, focus of our program is a one-on-one writing mentorship. Uh, we have mentors in a variety of genres of writing, from poetry to memoir writing. Uh, so a student can work with one of those mentors for three semesters on a project of their choice. Uh, in addition to that, we offer workshops on campus uh, that are often open to the community um, in partnership with the English department, as well as our fall conference, uh, which is coming up on October 22nd and 23rd, um, with virtual programming on the 22nd and in-person programming on campus on the 23rd. So th- that's a lot of stuff. It is. <laughs> so, so what does a day look like for you at MTSU? What are you doing throughout the day? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Um, I'm staring at the computer for a really long time, um, working on MTSU Write and trying to have a realistic vision. I'm a little over ambitious sometimes. Uh, so I do that. And then I also teach uh, Intro to Creative Writing and uh, the freshman English class, English 1010. Uh, so I also spend a lot of time with my students. So working with students on creative writing, I'm sure a lot of them, they bring with them a lot of stories because they come from all different backgrounds. So what is their involvement or are they going to be involved in a lot of these upcoming things you're talking about? I highly encourage them to become involved. And I know other um, instructors in the English department have encouraged their students to come to some of these events. I think um, it helps them see that writing isn't just something that happens in a classroom, but happens in a variety of platforms around the community, on campus, and in their workplaces as well. The Fall Creative Writing Conference, which is uh, see, October 22nd, uh, wh- what, who is that going to involve and who is, who is that for? 
It's for anyone who is interested in writing. Um, it is free to MTSU students and at a small registration fee for everyone else. Uh, there'll be virtual programming on that 22nd, um, so over Zoom. And then on the 23rd, uh, we'll have workshops by a variety of writers from the region. And our keynote is the acclaimed poet Tiana Clark, who is an alumni of the MTSU Write program. What are a few key aspects of creative, creative writing? I mean, if somebody came to you and said, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to write a book, what should I do? What are some creative techniques I can use? What, what would you tell them? I think this, um, I mean, everyone is different, but I think the main thing every writer can do is create a writing schedule that works for them and to read broadly. Read the writers who are doing the thing you want to do and that will help you gain the techniques that you need to do the thing. How hard is it to tell a story when writing something? I mean, you obviously have to figure out the start of the story and the end of the story, but how hard is it to actually keep on track when you're writing? Um, you know, there are some writers who can just get up and write for eight hours a day. I am not that writer. I don't think many people are. So I think the way to stay on track is to remind yourself why you're doing it, uh, to give yourself grace, to take breaks, um, to do the things that nurture you, and to not necessarily try to tell the story in order as you said sometimes you have to start in the middle and then work your way out uh, so don't feel like there's only one way to tell a story so i guess in other words if you are writing you may end up writing what could become chapter five but you're writing that first mm -hmm. and you just kind of go with that flow of thought yes exactly there's also another session coming up it's the uh, fall mtsu write session what is that um, so we are partnering with the English Department In Process uh, reading series, uh, where readers come and read from their work that is in process. Uh, so before uh, the next reader, Alexander Lumens reads on October 14th, we will be offering a workshop with him. Um, so that's from 2 to 4 p.m. on a Thursday, October 14th, and then he'll read his reading at 4.30 p.m. So you can come and learn and stay and listen. And that's open for anyone, so I guess any age? Well, it's targeted for adults, um, so I would say 18 and up. Um, but if there was a 16-year-old who really wanted to come, I think that would be fine. Again, with us, Amy Whittemore, English lecturer from MTSU. And, of course, you also you teach at MTSU. Uh, how many students do you typically teach each semester? Um, I teach between, I would say, 70 to 100, just sort of depending on how full the classes are, and if I have a, a course release. Uh, so for MTSU Write, I have a release, so I have fewer students. How prepared are students who are freshmen coming into college for the first time, how prepared are they in writing? I mean, do they come with a lot of knowledge or hardly any? Uh, both. Uh, you know, I think all the students come with different experiences with writing depending on the kinds of teachers that they had and instruction that they've already received. So some had amazing teachers that really fostered a positive relationship to writing. Others uh, came from places where they didn't get that kind of instruction or support. They think they are bad writers, um, but I really try to focus on growth. Um, we can all become better writers. So I try to help them at least tolerate writing if not like it. It's got to be interesting these days because you've got to see students who may come from an inner city school. Then you have one student from another country. Then you have one from Murfreesboro. I mean, you literally see students from all over the place. Yeah, it is amazing hearing their stories, their journeys to MTSU, their journeys to the United States in some cases. Um, so we do focus a lot on, on personal storytelling in um, the freshman writing sequence so they can share some of those stories and use that um, to guide their writing. 
do students stand up in class and actually read what they have written in your classrooms? Um, they don't always stand up and do it, but they do meet in groups and talk about their, their work. Um, they give each other feedback. Uh, so there's a lot of a collaboration and conversation around writing. So what led you this direction to where you're wanting to help people learn to write better? Um, I've been a writer for a very long time. I began in high school, uh, thanks to a really great teacher. And it's just a space that I feel comfortable in, but also a space where I feel like um, I can help others. And I think whether or not you become a professional writer, learning to put words to your thoughts and emotions can have a cathartic effect, can help you share your story with people who need to hear it, um, be a better conversationalist, uh, can help you in so many ways. And so if I can help people use it as a tool, um, it makes me feel very satisfied as a teacher. So that really helps out more than just in writing. It helps somebody better describe things in person as well while just talking. Yes, exactly. What do you want to accomplish over the next, let's say, two or three years at MTSU with all these programs? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would like to grow our mentorship program. Um, currently, we uh, have like three or four students in the mentorship program. And I think that we can easily double that, if not triple that over the next two to three years so that there are more students engaged with that component, which will help us grow other components on the ground. Um, I've been in conversations with local nonprofits about creating some sort of festival or conference, um, sort of growing the conference I already do. Uh, so that could be something that happens as well. Uh, we'll just have to see where the next two to three years take us. Is there a chance that you could actually be involved with local nonprofits or businesses even in helping students learn how to write a mission statement for a business, for a nonprofit, in working with that business to teach them as well, this is how you would write, let's say, a mission statement or your story? Yeah, um, there are actually... Um some professors in the English department working on a public writing major, and that is exactly the kind of writing that they'll be focusing on. So writing for businesses, for broader audiences that are not just academia, not just creative writing and literature. Uh, so there are certainly those opportunities growing for students at MTSU. So obviously you feel like it's important to learn how to properly write, how to tell a story, but how important is it for others to learn how to write a story or tell a story? Um... I mean, I think stories are at the root of our engagement with each other and with the world. So if we can tell our story well, um, that can help us, you know, advocate for ourselves when we need to stand up for ourselves or for others. So I think storytelling is kind of at the root of the human experience and to do it well can be very impactful to others. It seems like storytelling is in every single line of work mm -hmm. if it's not at the beginning of that work when you're applying for a job it's within the work you know and maybe you're working at a news station or mm -hmm. anywhere just in general you've got to learn how to be able to tell and convey a story yeah exactly how can people learn more about this because uh, i mean you've got this conference coming up you've mm -hmm. got these events coming up how can folks learn more about it uh you can go to mtsu.edu slash write um, you can also email me at mtsuwrite at mtsu.edu, and that's write, W-R-I-T-E. Amy Whittemore with us again with MTSU. Anything in closing that you'd like to say? Um, I guess I would just say read a good book and tell a good story. Sounds good. Uh, again, Amy Whittemore with us again with MTSU. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A check on the forecast and also traffic comes your way next.
We'll see periods of showers and thunderstorms here this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions high in the upper 70s. Winds out of the southeast around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. Good morning. Cleanup continues on that earlier crash. 24 westbound Hickory Hollow Parkway. It's, it was there long enough to jam it up pretty good coming out of Rutherford County into Davidson County. As you head towards Nashville, 41 is pretty busy between Laverne and Smyrna. Just give yourself extra time out here this morning. It's one of those mornings. Hey, Gallenberg Wine Cellar, home of the world-famous cotton candy wine. Log on to GallenbergWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. 